Welcome, I'm J. Michael Silver, and this is Foundational Steps, the show where I talk with people about the choices they've made to get where they are in life. In this episode, I'm talking with Megan Vick. We met years ago doing comedy improv at UCB and became friends quickly. She's a very accomplished entertainment journalist working with big outlets like TV Guide, Hollywood Reporter, and Billboard. We have a great conversation. I'm sure you're going to love it. Links for Megan and timestamps for everything that came up while we talked are below. Don't forget to leave a comment or review. I'd love to hear your thoughts and check out our affiliate links in case there's something cool you might find valuable. Enjoy the conversation. Hello, welcome, Megan. Hey, what's up? <laughs> Thanks for being here. Um, this is awesome. So just to jump in and and uh, see how deep we can get off right at right at you know second one. Um, what, at what moment in your time in, in life, did you have an experience or an awareness that you were like in your body making decisions and your decisions and choices affected, you know, the world around you? Well, compound question. Um, yeah. <laughs> I think like my awareness of being in my, I have a very distinct memory of like being in my body. And that was like eight. I remember like the exact moment of like, Oh, I'm a person, um, which was like age three. Uh, we were having brunch at our like uh, dining room table. My grandparents were there. We were getting ready to move out of our house. I remember that. And it was like the last time my grandparents were coming to visit that house before we moved. As far as it go, like making decisions that affected the rest of my life, I would say I was in eighth grade. Okay. So yeah. that that's awesome that you have such an early memory because I would say that's maybe just from asking this question, it's not the most common uh, response. Um, I definitely have an early experience when what you remember of that moment and kind of like, oh, I'm a human, I'm like doing this thing. Like, was there anything, what other memories do you have? Like what other senses or, or experience or thoughts do you have around that moment that you remember? I just like, I remember the, I like, I can tell you exactly where I was sitting at the table and we had one of those, our living room was open concept, but like there was a brick wall between the living room and the kitchen, except there was like a, like a peak window in the brick wall. Mm -hmm. Um, and my mom was standing on, like was in the kitchen and that's like, so I just remember like, like I came to, uh, and seeing my mom in the kitchen and we were finishing up brunch. Um, I remember being excited. I was a little sad to like leave our house, but at yeah. the same time, like I was, my grandparents were there. I was the center of attention. I was really excited about showing my grandmother, the giant big bird I had on my bed. Like those are the, <laughs> like the memories of like running around that house. And then like, I can't, I remember that specific moment and like the few moments after it, but like, I can't tell you like, Oh, what we did the next day right, or anything. Right. But yeah, I, I remember like specifically coming to and seeing my mom in that window. That makes, that makes so much sense to me. I mean, it, it also, you know, I, I mentioned sometimes I, I get a little esoteric or the conversation gets philosophical. That's, that's exactly what I'm talking about, you know, because that's such a, um, and I, like, there's no tangible thing you can say. Like, I just woke up, I came into my body. I was awake at three years old. Like there's an objective reality from the standpoint of this is your experience. But anyone listening is like, was going to most likely have to search themselves or think about, you know, that moment. And um, yeah, it's, I, I, that's awesome. That's awesome that you remember that. It's so interesting to me. Um, now you said eighth grade was the moment that you realized, you know, your choices actually had an effect. Just before we get there, was there anything in between, um, three and eight where you continued to kind of like this, this idea of being a human and this kind of being in this body, like was, was there any additional kind of like moments or thoughts or experiences that um, kind of compounded on that? I mean, I was always a very introspective kid. My mom would call it contemplating my navel. <laughs> like, yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, 
so there was a lot I spent a lot of time like thinking about like who am I what am I doing like those sorts of things but like Mm -hmm. I was six so it was like um I'm in first grade like that is sort of like the the (laughs) compound thoughts weren't that much but I did like like my friends would want to like play soccer or do these other things I was like but what if we just like laid in the grass and daydreamed like I was a weird hippie kid in that kind of way um and my mom was just like you're lazy (laughs) but i was like but no we we have existential crises to figure out um without exactly knowing what that was so like there were there were sort of moments like that but like i i can't like remember any specific i just remember like the earth that's what i want i would prefer to do that than play tag yeah no i mean i think also given the fact that you know to flash forward as 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 a writer and as an interviewer and a performer and everything else that you've you've done and do you're doing i kind of feel like that makes perfect sense though you know because the we met through improv we met through through comedy improv and um for whatever about 10 years ago this month no really 10 years ago yeah it was it was winter spring of 2012. my god i have i can't that's that's crazy that's such a trip i can't even be i can't i can't realize yeah i didn't realize it had been <laughs> <laughs> i thought about when you reached out i was like okay no it's been 10 years yeah wow uh yeah i'm, <laughs> I'm stumped on that one that's crazy um i i remember I remember walking into that room. I remember some of the other people. I think you and Pardee might be the only two people that I've stayed in touch with. Um, Like I felt there was some sort of weird connection I felt with you and I felt with him. And not that I didn't like anyone else or didn't get along or didn't have good, you know, scenes or, or moments or, you know, improv with them but for whatever reason the two of you i vibed with in a way that like i still talk to both of you on some level or another from time to time um so that's i had no idea it was 10 years that's so interesting um but you you one of the i think one of the more interesting things about you um and working with you back then you know 10 years ago um was that you did have some extra awareness about yourself and about like your experience as a person like you just had this uh, like additional awareness and i think that was what was interesting to me about you and so now to hear 10 years later that it three years old, you're like, oh, I'm a human. And then at like six years old, like, no, no, we have existential <laughs> concerns here. We need to just lay down and think about all this. It makes perfect sense, which is so awesome. Um, <laughs> okay, so in eighth grade, what happened or what was going on where you started to realize these decisions and choices you were making? So in eighth grade, I was on a uh the our math counts and algebra one team i was a a nerd uh and we made it to the state championships which for state you spent it was an overnight thing and the state championships were at the north carolina school of science and mathematics which is a public boarding school uh in durham north carolina and for all of the kids that participated in the state championships you got a like they get organized tours of the school afterwards for you to like it was a recruitment thing okay uh, yeah, and it, it sense. and it worked <laughs> oh wow so we like did this tour of the school and i was like first of all you can live at school yes sign me up a thousand percent this wow. is where i belong They're like this is where all the smart kids are and this is what all the smart kids do and like these are all the fun activities and i like at the end of the tour i told my parents i was like i'm going here and my best friend had the same like my best friend was also on that trip and she agreed and like we we planned it out from that point and everything i did from that moment on was about getting into that school wow did your did your parents just go along with it or oh yeah they were very encouraged it was a nerd school and like so the tagline it was the largest feeder school into the ivy leagues in the south 
Oh, wow. That's a big deal. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, and my dad, Larry, who you've met. Yeah. Uh, Larry's awesome. <laughs> yeah. He still asks about you like all the time. <laughs> <laughs> that's great. I, yeah. I mean, I mean, I remember, remember your dad and, um, he came to play with us once, didn't he? He, he came to, yeah, us. he came with me to your house for one of our like improv sessions and he yeah. participated. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, uh, yeah, I mean, um, I mean, I, I haven't thought about him in a, in a little while, but I also haven't gotten to see you in a little while. So, but yeah, as soon as you said, as soon as you said that, it's like, oh yeah, I'm taking right back to meeting him and everything. Yeah. He was such a, uh, engaging person. Like he's just like, my memory of him and my kind of experience was just that he's like full of life is full of love and, and just as like, yeah, let's do this, you know, whatever. Yeah, he's, let's do it. He gets very gung ho. He also, he thought about being an actor for a minute. And when I say thought about being an actor, he's a community college instructor. Well, he's retired now at the time, 10 years ago, he was a community college instructor. Um, and he had participated in a couple of the community college plays when they needed extra people. Nice. Um, and he's like, yeah, man, I, I think I got the acting bug. I was like, please stop. No. <laughs> <laughs> you being in a community college production of Fences does not mean that you have the acting bug. You went, okay. Um, so yeah, yeah, like I think, and I think him, com him coming over and doing the improv thing was like around that same time period. So he was just like very enthusiastic, like, yeah, I can make stuff up. I can be with the cool kids. Yeah, I mean, on one side, like, God, I wouldn't wish that on him um, because it's such a it's such a brutal uh, life, you know, trying to be an actor. But on the other side, like, hey, if he's just going to do it in local community theater, college, college and and whatever else, like, why not? Um, you know, if it makes him happy, especially if he's retired now, it's like, you know, yeah. why not? So I'm sure he's, he's going to listen. He's got a lot of hobbies that he's working on now. Okay. Acting is not one of them, but he's got a lot of other fires going on. <laughs> well, Larry, if you're listening, I fully support anything you do <laughs> because, um, hey, why not, right? So, um, all right. So uh, eighth grade, you've made this big life decision. This is what you're going to do. And everything is evolves around that for the next you know year next six months. uh three years so like the north carolina school of science and math you get admitted as a junior in high school it's your last two years of high school oh okay so um i finished i finished middle school but like the classes i decided to take my first two years of high school were based on like what's going to look best at science and math and they told us they're like the kids who get in are the ones who have utilized all of the resources at their current school and have run out of thing like things that they can do at their own school that's sort of the kids that got accepted so like i took um so like i gave up an elective so i could take an extra science class i took night algebra which was actually for like remedial students who needed it to graduate but what benefit did it give you then so but like it still they still called it like algebra two uh so like i got the credit for doing algebra two and so i could go to pre-cal a year early Nice. But like, I didn't actually take algebra two because it was like we were they were teaching kids slope intercept form, which I don't know anybody. I'm probably giving kids PTSD, but y equals mx plus b. Okay. Like, that's what we were like getting up to in like the second to last week of this class. Like, that's the start of algebra one. So it was, but I took pre-cal early and that's like I got into that school yeah, and like yeah. getting into science and math sort of like led was like the first like real building block of like oh, this is where my life is going. Like I can trace everything that I've done back from decisions I made by getting into science and math. Yeah, I'm, I love that you're saying that too, because that's one of the things that I definitely have done and do is I can trace decisions and, you know, there's a whole uh, tree or, or however you want to, you know, think about it uh, conceptually of, you know, all of the branches and all of the, you know, things. And it's like, God, if I had gone this way, I would have gone this way, but I made the decision to be here. Like, and I've made so many decisions that's gotten me here. So I can't really claim uh, any pain <laughs> or, or suffering when I've put this on myself. Like I made these decisions. It's my fault. <laughs> so, you know, it's, um, 
it's kind of empowering and also sometimes frustrating when you, when you're able to see it like that, where it's like, I I'm responsible for this. Yeah. Um, so math and science, which I was also massively math and science oriented in high school, <clears throat> excuse me. And, um, I mean, I know you as a writer, I know you as, as an entertainer, as, you know, someone who is not a math and science person. So yeah. I guess, I guess the obvious question is first is did going there, um, and doing math and science your, your last two years, did that propel you? Because I don't even know where you went to college. Did it propel you to Ivy league? Did you think? No. Oh, that? no, no, no. So, uh, <laughs> It was a, I had a quarter life crisis at the age of 16 or whatever you call that. I don't know, an eighth life crisis. Yeah, <laughs> like, eighth, yeah. Uh. Um, so, okay. Multiple things happened at the same time. I had an, I realized that writing was at least like an outlet or something that I enjoyed when I was in third grade. That's when I wrote my first like short story. Okay. And it was a thing that like I did continuously from then, but like I was not conscious of like, it was just a thing that I did and I didn't really make, I did, wasn't making decisions around it. That wasn't the plan. Right. Um, I think like, rather than being a writer, I think like the earliest notion I had of a career was I wanted to be a book editor. That was like, but I wasn't very serious about it. And like sort of what happens, what happened when I got to science and math was um, <laughs> I started letting my very obsessive personality start making decisions. Um, so I get to science and math. And again, I was a nerd before. And I was always one, if not the smartest, one of the smartest kids in my class. And I got to science and math and that was no longer the case. And that was extremely difficult for me. Um, there was a whole identity crisis. I got my first C and then I got just like report cards full of C's. And I didn't know, like that was a major depressive episode. Oh, okay. So just... Just to just, you know, kind of call it out, um, yeah. you know, you, you have certain, you, you had to cope and you had to deal with the fact that things are not going your way all of a sudden. Um, so what were the coping mechanisms? Like, how did you deal with it? Because obviously you're very smart and you're very hyper aware at a very young age. So it's not like you're just, you know, like the average, you know, the average teenager, so to speak you know, the, the stereotype, I should say, not necessarily the average, but the stereotype is, um, you know, drugs, alcohol, sex, um, you know, anything, comic books, um, you know, things that are going to form some sort of escape or some sort of uh, athletics. So did being hyper aware and being, you know, having to be forced into this coping of like, oh my God, this is what's happening to me. Um, what did you do and how'd you deal with it? I mean, there were unhealthy things. We couldn't, I couldn't do drug, sex or alcohol because you would get kicked out of the school for that. Um, and I was still like a goody two shoes. Uh, so food became one of them, which is still a thing me and my therapist are figuring out. Um, and then the other thing was uh, panic at the disco. Like, so I was in high school in 2005 just okay. to, like that's when this was happening. Sure. Right. That became your, you put them on, you'd listen to them. Right. And I like, I had enough Panic at the Disco shirts that I had a different one for every day of the week. So that was like every, anytime you saw me, I was in a Panic at the Disco shirt. Um, and I like, again, this is my obsessive personality that became like my personality. That was like a core tenet of my personality that was obsessed with this band. Um, yeah. So then here's where interesting that you brought up. You don't know where I went to college. Uh, after my first C, I realized I was not going to get into an Ivy League school. Harvard doesn't take C students. Um, but my dad suggested that I apply to Northeastern in Boston because his my uncle's ex-girlfriend went there. And my dad thought it would be they used to hang out with her when he was in college. So we thought it'd be like a good whatever. Um, my dream, my dream had been to go to BU and write for their, they had a student soap opera that I wanted to write for. Oh, cool. Um, but I got into Northeastern and Northeastern gave me a full tuition scholarship. So that 
changed everything. Uh, and then when I got the acceptance, I realized that uh, one of the majors they had was music industry. Hmm. So that's where I went to college. And I majored in music industry because of my love for Panic at the Disco. And then wow. I realized I couldn't be an artist. So I minored in journalism. And then so I started on this path to become like a writer at Rolling Stone so that I could profile Panic at the Disco. Okay, so this is obviously this is inside information, which I, I know you won't. I, I know you won't have a problem with sharing this, but you are also like a massive Dawson Creek, Dawson's Creek fan. Uh huh. So, like, and and I know more about your Dawson's Creek uh, obsession than Panic at the Disco. Uh, this is the first time I've heard about Panic at the Disco. So, how or why um, was Panic, was Panic at the Disco more important or more informative or more shaping, whatever, than Dawson's Creek? I think it was just like the timing of it. Like at that particular time, A, Dawson's Creek was no longer on the air at that right. point. And we were in a pre-streaming era. So the only way for me to watch Dawson's Creek was on DVDs, really. So like Dawson's Creek was, if we were having this conversation about like me in age me in eighth grade when I decided to go to science and math, I was extremely uh, invested in Dawson's Creek and those things. And I still am very invested in Dawson's Creek. <laughs> um, <laughs> but at the time that this was going down and I was having this crisis and I didn't know what I wanted to do, like Panic of Disco was like the thing at the time. So I made the decision based on that. Gotcha. Um, and I went through all four years of college. Like that was the goal. My senior year of college, I did a co-op, so a six month internship at Billboard Magazine. That was my big thing. Um, and I did so well at Billboard that they asked me to continue freelancing even when I went back to school for my last semester. Wow. And they asked me to um, interview Panic for like the lead section of the music section. So like I got to go to New York, see them in person, talk to them. I have that issue of the magazine like framed. It's hanging on my stereo yeah, right dude, now. It was a really big thing. Um, but again, Things happened sort of all at the same time. The social network came out while I was in that internship. Oh, right. Um, and I saw Andrew Garfield and I was like, I love him. <laughs> this is now the thing. And I also like being at Billboard, like really, I realized that like the, the dream that I had of like almost famous like being on tour buses like it that yeah. wasn't real anymore and that like people who write cover stories for magazines are doing it over the phone and it like I didn't I did not have the love for it that I thought I would once I was actually in it yeah so then I saw the social network and it changed me and I decided like then my senior year of college like oh I want to write movies that make me feel the way that this movie made me feel. So I like pivoted yeah. in my senior year of college. I finished out being a music industry and journalism major, but my aunt lived in California and I called, and I was like, I want to come to LA and I want to try screenwriting, which is so then after graduation, I moved in with my aunt and started like six months after I moved in with her, I <laughs> took an improv class at UCB. <laughs> and it all okay. like that sort of, it's been that trajectory since. That's hilarious. Okay. That, that all, that all makes sense now. All right. That makes, <laughs> as, you know, from a personal standpoint of knowing you that now connects all of the dots. Um, but that's how amazing is that though, that panic at the disco was the, was the reason behind you going that direction. You get a job with billboard and you're able to actually meet them and interview them. I mean, that's pretty spectacular. Yeah. Like, like when I asked you uh, to be on as a guest to to do this, you you said something kind of glib around the idea of like, I don't know, like talking about my being a fangirl and whatever, how interesting that's going to be. And like, I think you just kind of proved why that is super interesting because you took your fangirl like obsession with Panic! at Disco, turned it into a job you were so good at it. You actually got to meet panic at the disco. Like, like yeah. if that's not inspirational, I don't know what is. I mean, that's just awesome. I mean, that's sort of, and it's, that's how it's continued. I've met Andrew Garfield because <laughs> like, so like after I struggled a while trying to find a job, I ended up doing social media for Deepak Chopra and the Chopra family for like a that. year. Okay. Um, 
And then I got laid off from that job. Was it, that, uh, was, that was after we had met. That was after. Empire. Right. Yeah. So okay. I got that job in like the late summer 2012 and you and I met in the spring of 2012. Okay. Um, so I had, I was, I did work for them for like, I think like two years. Uh, I feel like I must have known because I know we were still talking a little bit more regularly at that point in time. Yeah. Uh, I must've known, but uh, you know, you know, set, you know, it's the timing of everything. Like, I think it, it's yeah. more important now. I think had I, had I been in where I was at headset wise in college, um, then Deepak Chopra and his family and everything would have been super, super amazing. And I think now, like, you know, that's super, super amazing. And I think I was probably in a, in that period of time, I was kind of struggling to figure out how to kind of recapture myself and how to move forward. Um, you were definitely at like a crossroads. You were trying to yeah. figure, you were at a, like, do I keep trying to do this or not yeah place i i think i was yeah to 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 put it not so nicely or or maybe putting on exactly on the nose i was too self-absorbed <laughs> to <laughs> to think about anything else um yeah i mean you know that's the funny thing about acting that's why you know i said what i said about god i wouldn't wish this on anyone on one on one hand when you know talking about your dad um and acting because it's a business first and foremost. It doesn't matter how talented you are. It doesn't matter how, what you're willing to sacrifice, how hard you work. It, it just doesn't matter. If you're see yourself this way and they see yourself this way and you don't want to go along with this, then they have no value for you whatsoever. And, you know, at, uh, they meaning Hollywood. Mm -hmm. And, um, and even then, even if you line up with what they think you should line up for, you still have to have the right opportunities and the right circumstances. And um, yeah, so it was a long road because at that point in time, I'd already been out here for 12 years, um, 12 plus years. Um, so yeah, that makes sense. Um, God, it's so funny. I like, it, I just, it makes sense on one hand, but on the other hand, I just can't believe that it's been, we've known each other for that long. You know? <laughs> Um, yeah. So, okay. Um, I'm still tripping over all of that. So like, I, <laughs> uh, anyways, so you're, you're working with Chopra, uh, and you're doing that. Um, how did you, because you, you're still with TV guide. I am now. Yeah. Okay. After when did TV, TV guide start? Um, so yeah, I got laid off by the Chopra's in 2014. And a few weeks after that, um, my, a friend of mine who was, we were roommates in college, like very briefly, but like, we were just very good friends throughout college. She was an editor at a website, a defunct website now called zap to it. Okay. Um, and she, they had an opening and I was like, yeah, I need a job and I love TV. And like, here's the list of everything that I'm watching. Uh, so she really gave me my start and I was there for two years. And then after that, I went to TV guide and I've been at TV guide ever since. Yeah. And, and that's where you've gotten the opportunities to meet Andrew Garfield and all the other amazing. I met Andrew Garfield while I was at zap to it. Still again, that oh. same friend, Terry, she got the, he, it was post Spider-Man. He did a movie called a little movie called 99 homes. Um, it was about the crap, the crash of the housing market in okay. 2007 um him laura Dern, laura Dern plays his mom in that movie nuts yeah hollywood yeah. uh but we got the invite to go to the junket and um terry was like if if i send you on this could you be cool <laughs> of course she said yes <laughs> i was like yeah 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 it's good uh i was not cool here's what happened <laughs> that's awesome <laughs> um i had a thing I had several friends up until that point who had encountered him and had not like gotten an autograph for me or any, like they saw him and then didn't do anything about it. So it had become a joke, sort of a joke amongst my friends, um, but not really that I was like, okay, I don't want to meet Andrew Garfield. Have you seen the show Community, Mike? 
Yes, I, I'm not a, a super fan, but I've I've seen a number of episodes. Really great show. Okay, there is a specific episode which Chevy Chase's character is in the hospital. He's pretending to be dying, and then yes. he. I've actually seen enacts, that. One. Yeah, he enacts these things of like emotional terrorism on everybody in the study group, and mm-hmm. specifically for Donald Glover's character Troy, he brings. LeVar Burton to the hospital and Troy freaks out and is like, I specifically told Pierce, I did not want to meet LeVar Burton. I want an autographed picture of LeVar Burton because you can't disappoint a signed picture of LeVar Burton. <laughs> right. This is going to be a very convoluted story. So <laughs> I had been watching community that was in presence of my mind before Andrew got cast as Spider-Man. There was a large internet campaign to have Donald Glover play Spider-Man and for them to do Miles Morales instead of Peter Parker. Again, that would have been cool. Well, it would have been possible i feel like i think well they had him in no way home and like tease that he would be miles morales's uncle okay. not no way home um homecoming it's the first homecoming yeah, yeah yeah anyway um andrew and donald met like it they became friends because of that whole internet campaign um and in the epk so like the dvd extras for the first spider-man he's like yeah like i'm such a huge fan of donald glover whatever there's a little I'm a fan of everything that he does. This is important. He says this. I'm a fan of everything that he does. There's a little like wink to him in the movie. And they have a childish Gambino poster in Peter's room. Nice. Like, oh, Andrew's a big fan of everything that Donald has done. I feel like he is my LeVar Burton, who I don't want to meet because I will disappoint. So I just want a signed picture. And I was like, ah, I got this is genius. I want an Andrew Garfield signed picture of LeVar Burton. <laughs> and I tasked everyone. I was like, if you see him, like, even if you just got to draw LeVar Burton on a napkin, just get him to sign a picture of LeVar Burton. Yeah, no yeah. one did it. No one helped me out. I had like four different friends see him and no one helped me. So I was like, okay, screw it. So then this. Yeah, okay. I'm with you because I feel like this is also something that Andrew, based on what you know or what you've told me, would also love the idea of this. So he would probably get a kick out of it on a whole nother level from the standpoint of, of yeah. So, okay. Keep, keep so going. glad you're optimistic, Mike. Oh, <laughs> okay. So we get the invite for this junket. Terry sends me. I go to Office Depot. I point out like an HD headshot of our Burton and I take it with me to this junket. Um, and I remember I walked to so the way junkets work for those not initiated is like they sit the star in a hotel room and they just rotate uh, yeah. journalists out. So I walk into the hotel room. I have a composition book and the picture of LeVar Burton is facing him when I walk in. And I remember this. I remember exactly. He was drinking a cup of tea, sees LeVar Burton, spills the tea down his sweater. So that's a whole, I was like, we're off to a great start. And he's like, do you want to, do you want to ex- explain that? And I was like, yeah, yeah, I will afterwards, whatever. We do the interview. It's four minutes maybe. Um, and he's like, okay, like what, what is the deal? <laughs> and I was like, okay. I was like, uh, you've watched Community, right? He goes, no, I haven't. <laughs> so immediately I was like, oh, this is terrible. <laughs> This is the worst thing. I was like, okay, well, like, there's an ep. I go through the whole spiel that I just gave you, and I was like, you're like my Lavar Burton. So, like, could you sign this picture of Lavar Burton for me? Because you're like my favorite. Um, and it was like so awkward as he's doing it. But then the guy who was the one of the cameramen who was filming the junket, he just goes like, "That is awesome." <laughs> and I was like, he saved. Me. I was like, thank you so much. I was like, it's about fifty fifty about people who get it. And Andrew, bless his heart, goes like, I get it. And in my head, I'm like, you literally just said you didn't. <laughs> like, <laughs> well, but you know, he might have, he might have not got it. But then, as soon as the the camera dude said that's so awesome, he goes, oh, and and the the mental math kicks in. So it might have been, and then him feeling kind of stupid that he didn't get it faster. So I mean, I don't know. Maybe I'm being kind, but I feel like that's probably it is, what happened. I will spoiler. Um, He's got a new show coming out on FX some point this year. Okay. Um, and my friend is a publicist on the show. So like, I feel like another encounter is possible. Yeah. Uh, and my like, wor- I don't know if I like want him to, or if it is my worst fear that he's like, I remember you. <laughs> well, listen, I, I mean, I, I, 
I, I have no idea where my acting career is going at this point in time. I'm just kind of leaving it up to the to the gods and to my agent um, because I, you know, I've just been at it for 20 over for too long, <laughs> for long enough, whatever. Um, and so, but I'll tell you this. If I ever got on on that show, whether it was you know for three lines or or three days or three weeks, I would absolutely say something to him and be like, "Listen, I don't I don't even know what I'd say at this point in time." But that is such a genius, amazing, wonderful story that I feel like I feel like this just could be a running gag you know, thing for him and you and anyone that knows you and anyone that knows him for the next 20 years. I just think it would be hilarious. I'm trying to like figure out how to ask. I was like, I need to ask my friend of like, can you find some way to like organically work into conversation? Just be like, what's the most memorable thing someone has ever asked you to sign? And I was like, let's just gauge where I'm at. <laughs> yeah, I mean, um, let's see what happens. Uh, yeah. I don't know. We'll see. But see, okay. So I feel that. And I think that's a good, I think that's a good strategy. Um, however, um, I, I would say that there is a possibility that because he didn't put the mental math together quickly, that there might be a little bit of embarrassment around, you know, the whole thing, which means he may have tried to quash that. You know what I mean? Because embarrassing moments are, are either something we remember and can't forget, or they're things that we don't, you know, we just tuck in a yeah. hole and that's that. So, you know, I don't know. Well, I will let you know if uh, I do end up in his presence at yeah. some point in the year 2022. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Or, I mean, who knows? The show could could go for a minute and you could, end, you know, it could be 2023. So, I mean, depending on how if it's a limited run or if it's a successful show that goes for a couple seasons. I think it's a limit. It's based on a, like a true crime book. So I think it's like, going to be like a limited series, Okay. but like whether they're going to try and push it for this year's Emmy cycle or next year's Emmy cycle is TBD. Right. right. And that will dictate whether you have an opportunity or not. Yeah. I hope you do. Um, and I do I mean, when I don't, I'm scared. <laughs> you can't be scared. I mean, I understand you can't be scared, but like, like this should be, this should just be a, a, an exercise of, of pure joy in my mind, because um, this is, I, this is what makes us human. You know what I mean? This is like what makes it real for me, at least is these kinds of weird, quirky kind of things. And I feel like, um, you know, another picture of LeVar Burton <laughs> as you walk in. <laughs> I still, I still have it. We used to, we, a couple of years ago, um, God, when there was that fire behind the Warner Brothers lot, mm -hmm. um, I live like across the street from there. So I was, it was a like, you need to pack up your stuff just in case kind of day. It was the first thing that I packed besides my cats. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah, you just need a, a, a newer version of LaVar of, of Burton's photo. Like, you know, whatever, however many years has passed, you just need that newer picture. <laughs> um, and, um, God, you know, I mean, I don't know. This is just me. I, I, I always probably make too much of everything, but I also kind of feel like, you know, at some point in time, you're going to need a, a, uh, an autographed picture of Andrew Garfield by LeVar Burton as well at some point. Oh man. I mean, I just kind just of to make it like a complete set and LeVar's gonna be like, cause LeVar will remember community and what that whole thing is about. Right. Um, I just kind of feel like that might be, uh, something you need to have. Like, I don't know. Like LeVar Burton is a lot easier to get to than Andrew. I, I mean, I would, I would, as think, a, I don't know. As I mean, a TV, as a TV journalist, I can okay. <laughs> tell you know. like LeVar, he's just in a lot more things a lot more frequently. Yeah. So yeah. like especially like TV things like, and he's always doing stuff on PBS and PBS is like, do you want to write about something? Yeah. Right. Yeah. I mean, LeVar is also, he's been famous for 40 years. Yeah. Or something like that. I mean, he's, he's kind of an icon and, and then on put on top of, of, of that, 
like he's also part of the whole Star Trek, you know, world, which is a whole, you know, crazy fandom unto itself. So, I think I mean, he's also like he's probably going to be back on Picard now. Oh, I hope yeah. so. I love the first season. I didn't. Uh, I don't have Paramount, so I don't know if I'm going to be able to watch the second season. I think I got a free thing for the first season, so I'm going to see if maybe I can get a, a free thing for the second season of, of of Picard. Just change that email address, man. Right. Exactly. I yeah. Uh, Jean Luc. Um, um, oh my God. Uh, I'm blanking on the actor's name. Um, Patrick Stewart. Patrick Stewart. Patrick Stewart is like. I've never met him, but to me, he's one of those people that like, I think every actor should aspire or every just human should aspire to being because he's just such, for everything I know about him, he's just such a kind, uh, generous person. Like I've never heard anything bad about him. He just seems like such an amazing human. The, I've only had like very brief encounters with him, but yes, like valid <laughs> i've yeah, never yeah. had any like there was no sense of negativity whatsoever yeah he, yeah he just seems like one of those amazing people um but also lavar burton also seems like one of those people and i feel like he would be game to play the game you know what i mean because like he understands being in his position being famous for 40 years and being on uh, on on star part of the star trek universe he's got to understand crazy fandom in a way that very few people would i would think so for there to be especially having done that episode of community for there to be like someone out there who is a journalist who who meets successful famous people all the damn time to have this whole thing i just <laughs> feel like he would in my mind he would appreciate um this this whole idea and the and i don't know Again, maybe I'm just making more of it than needs to be, but <laughs> that's where I would take it. Um, <laughs> so that's a little bit of a uh, off track from where we started. But um, so getting back to like, uh, you know, your choices and everything else, how had your coping mechanism? I know you said you still talk to your therapist about food. So what other things did you start to do? I know you started working out uh, a few years back and started like taking that more seriously. So what, what other things have you started uh, in the past and why, or what did you start to kind of act as an additional coping mechanism or something else, you know, while, you know, trying to make life happen, you know? I mean, there's several things at the, like there, I went through different phases. I, have always written recreate like my job is writing but i've always written recreationally as well like i throughout high school and all of that while all of that was going on like i was i was raised by the internet basically yeah. um so i was on live journal i was in fan fiction circles i was role playing like on the internet for a very long time um i still like i'm trying to sort of like figure out like what is the recreational writing thing I want to be doing at this. Sometimes it's like, yeah, I'm working on this TV script. Sometimes it's like, I'm trying to write a book. Other times it's whatever. Um, I will say during the pandemic, my major coping mechanism during the pandemic became K-pop. Okay. Which I had purposefully avoided because as we've seen, I have a very obsessive personality. And when I get involved, I get deeply involved in things and it has a tendency to take over my entire life. Literally, I will make life decisions based on things I'm obsessed with. So I had avoided K-pop specifically because I was like, I am looking at other people who I think of as rational adults mm -hmm. lose their minds over this. So like, I can't do this. <laughs> like, so, okay. So you, you did that. <laughs> well, I did do it and it, it happened exactly as I thought it would happen. And so now I have, you can't see it, but there's like a whole like BTS section of my office. That's oh, wow. Now is over BTS here. the only uh, K-pop that you've gotten into or have you gone down the rabbit hole? And that no, they're, they're like a gateway drug. <laughs> okay. And so it started there. Mm -hmm. um, but now there's like Stray Kids and Tomorrow By Together and Monster X and Eric Nam and all of these, like it's, I'm learning Korean. Like all of it is happening. Um, 
And I used, I would used to like feel like shame around that kind of like, oh, I'm in my thirties and I love Cape. Like I would feel like I would have to hide that, but it's like, oh my, I think after the past two years, it's like, screw it, man. You got to do what you have to do to feel happy out here. So like, if this is what I enjoy doing, this is what I enjoy doing. Everybody else can suck it. So I just realized something. Um, so there's a connection, um, a, a weird kind of connection here to community uh, you and someone that I've become a fan of. Um, so because of you, because of your fandom or fangirl-ishness or however you say that, um, at one point in time in the last however long, I, you know, I was watching Walking Dead and I'd watch um, Talking Dead now and again. And Yvette Nicole Brown started coming on and I, like I said, I watched community, but I was never like, I didn't, I haven't seen every episode. Like usually if I watch a show, I see every single episode, but you know, it came on at a time where I was trying to limit how much TV I was watching. So, um, I think other than a few episodes here and there, I never got into it. So I started seeing, seeing her on the walking dead and, um, she actually reminds me of of you or or vice versa. Well, I, I knew more about you and knew you before her. So uh, she reminds me of you. And um, and watching her fandom made me think about your fandom and made me think that like, because I kind of, I feel like you need to embrace your fandom and I think you need to like, screw it who cares what other people think and i feel like she's the perfect example of like why fandom can work for you and yeah. why just you know sharing what you love is so important because she's like she's the most famous fangirl there is i think you know what i mean i think so and like first of all that's a great compliment i've met yvette a few times and she is like talking about gems of humans like she is yeah the I best. saw her at a restaurant in Studio City. I went to have like brunch with a friend and she was there. And I, I instantaneously got nervous because this is just maybe like four years ago or something like that. Um, and I instantaneously got nervous because there was part of me that felt like I could easily go and talk to her because I feel like, you know, and, and it's honestly because of you. Um, because there's like, you have that same kind of fangirl kind of thing and same kind of like, just you're easygoing, easy to talk to. And I felt like, oh, I could do that. I'm waiting. No, she's a famous person. Some strange white guy coming up to her is probably not okay at a restaurant when she's with her girlfriends. And I'm like, I was like, all right, no, I just like, don't say anything. And, um, I, I, my, in my head now, I have a different kind of feeling about that. But at the time I was very self-conscious and very kind of like, uh, like nervy about it. Now I feel like, like I would only shower her with, you know, love and compassion. You know what I mean? Like, how could she not appreciate that as long as, you know, I was respectful and, you know, wasn't trying to monopolize her time or anything else you know so yeah. it's tricky when people are eating and i feel like this is like a very la problem of like how do you handle seeing a celebrity at brunch because it only happens like here in new york yeah, um mostly yeah and here i feel like more often just because density i don't know yeah um absolutely. so yeah it is tricky of like oh they're eating like can you say something whatever but i also like i i try to think of it as like if I were somewhere and someone had felt inspired or happy or whatever because of something that I did, I would want to know about it. But again, it goes back to like, don't feel like you can then join them for brunch. That's exactly. not <laughs> exactly. There's a there's a line. There's yeah. a line. And there's like go like say your really nice thing, do whatever, and then yeah. Yeah. I and I think that's I think that's the key. And uh I mean I just I don't think it was until more recently that I even thought that was even a possibility because I did I did Marvel's Agents of Shield with with uh, Bill Paxton, the late Bill Paxton. And I've seen every movie he's done. 
and he was giving me compliments and he was so nice. And I'm standing there one, one afternoon or evening chatting with him. And like, we're just having a casual conversation. And part of me is just freaking out because I'm like, I don't want to be, I, I don't want to annoy him. And again, this is old thinking. This is like 10 years ago. Um, but I, I just felt like so bad that I was having these like fan thoughts. Um, and I just wanted to be a normal human being with him. And I feel like I just completely missed every opportunity in the world. And, and when he passed away, it was like such a regret. Like I should, like, I was like, I, you know, damn it. Like, you know, because it wasn't like seeing him in a restaurant. I was working with him. Like I was already having conversations with him. You had the in, Mike. <laughs> I had the in and I didn't tell him how much I appreciated him, how much I loved his movies and like, you know, like True Lies. He was so awesome in True Lies. Yeah, you know? Like that's like a perfect example of how great of a character actor he was. And like, I didn't take an opportunity to share that with him. And, you know, it's one thing, the boundaries you have on, on at, like at a restaurant, in a public place, but when you're working with someone, if you can't share that, then when can you like, I mean, what are you waiting for? What else is there? And I, and I, I did, yeah, I, it's, um, it's, it's the biggest Hollywood regret I have, <laughs> you know? I mean, I really, in a lot of ways, because like, again, I have been, I've been a fangirl again, going back to like age three. Cause we used to watch Beverly Hills 90210 as a family, actually, even before then, um, when normal kids had invisible friends, like I pretended that I was hanging out with Raffi and Michael Jackson, like get that. Um, I totally get that. And I can like track every like major Hollywood crush I had. Like, it's continuous. They just ebb and flow into each other. Mm -hmm. Um, for the whole time and it's like especially when i was a teenager and like in college especially like being a music industry major there was this real like oh you're a fan like you're not credible if you're a fan but like everybody was you cannot work in that industry you cannot work in entertainment without being a fan you will not survive there's no reason to put yourself through this crap <laughs> see i think i think that's part of the reason why um i felt like i couldn't say something to bill because i i feel like there was a an us and them mentality at one point in time and i think it's i think the walls are coming down because of social media because of twitter and instagram where you can just reach out to these people and maybe they don't respond, but you can just reach out to, to anybody and everybody. And so I think maybe the, the, the walls have come down, but I definitely, you know, 20, over 20 years ago, when I moved out here, um, there was definitely a mentality of you're either in the business or you're outside of the business. And if you're in the business, then this has got to be normal, fair. And, and, you know, you're, you've got to be a human or, and, and they've got to be a human kind of thing. Um, you can't be a fan. Like in some, in some weird way, I feel like that was the messaging that I got is that I couldn't be a fan if I was an actor on set and if I was auditioning and if I was going to be, um, if I was going to have a career doing this. And honestly, I think it hurt hurt me as an actor because it kept me from being as authentic as I could possibly be. And being an actor, the most, most important thing is, is to speak your truth. And, um, and if you're hiding any part of yourself, then it becomes more difficult to, to be authentic in front of the camera. And so, you know, I don't know. I think it's like, it's, people when you say that you're a fan of something they automatically like take it to an extreme yeah, but like yeah. it is entirely possible to be a fan and be a human at the same time absolutely and it's like knowing and i like listen when i was younger and i was in my 
I went on a couple of job interviews um, before I got that job at Billboard where I did not know the balance. And I did go too far into fan territory and then I did not get those jobs. And rightfully so. Yeah. Um, but like as now I've got, I've been doing entertainment journalism for over 12 years now. Mm-hmm. Um, and the I think of the people that I have interviewed multiple times that I have had, like I have the best rapport with. Like people that I like, if we get on the phone or like I see them at a junket or something, they are like excited to see me. Every single one of those people I express being a fan of. Yeah. Like I didn't do it in a, like a weird, like creep, like overly like, Oh my God, like whatever. It was just, just an honest, like I appreciate the work that you're doing or have done, or like it did it in some way. And like that has resonated in further. So like now there's a point, like we have, I don't, I don't ever want to say we're friends. Cause like, this is my rule. If you can't text someone and say that, like, Hey, let's go get a beer. You're not friends. Right. But like friendly acquaintances with these yeah. actors that like, well, I've talked to you for every season that the show has been on the air. So like now we have like a thing and the ones that I'm closest to again, are the ones that I was like, I was not hiding the fact of like, no, nah, like I love this. I love this thing that you did. Um, and they are enthusiastic. They listen actors love being validated it's true it's true i I don't care how much humility you have i don't care how at peace you are with all the whatever whatever you know actors we we do not do this uh if not for the audience you know you know it is about making people happy about giving them an experience about um taking them someplace they didn't uh, you know didn't know they could even go or think or feel or whatever. And, you know, there is no purpose for an actor if not to, you know, make someone feel something. So to get the validation that you have done that, it's the only way you know you've done your job. Like everything else, like, and this is, I think this is one of the, one of the problems in the entertainment industry from a mental health standpoint for entertainers. Um, and I think, I think most entertainers have this, not just actors, but, you know, musicians as well. Uh, we can have a level of success and not know if we're really touching people, reaching people and, and people are getting us uh, the way we want to get, get to them or, or affect them or, you know, move them. And, you know, just making money doesn't do it. Getting the right project makes you feel good, but you still don't know if you're actually moving people in the way you want to move them. And so I I feel like, and this is my evolved perspective, like, and that's why, like, I feel like anytime I have an opportunity where I don't think I'm crossing the line, then it's like, it's almost my job to let someone know how wonderful I think they are. Because, you know, I want to know someone thinks I'm wonderful. <laughs> like, and I feel like we're all better when we find out, you know, someone thinks we're wonderful. So it's so interesting that you bring up. So like w- the addictive thing about K-pop that I have recently come to understand is this idea of parasocial relationships. Okay. So in normal, like I will say Western fandoms, mm-hmm. um, like the idea of a parasocial relationship is like when you have like an idol, an actor that you really love and you have, you formed this relationship with them that is not exactly real, mm-hmm. right? Like it is a, the relationship that I have with Andrew Garfield, like he and I are not in an actual relationship, but like I have a deep relationship to the work that he has done, the effect. Yes. Like, so that that is a parasocial relationship where it's not an actual like direct thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and like people have it, like pe- people like Justin Bieber or whatever, or Taylor Swift. The thing that's like addictive about K-pop and what they've mastered in their marketing is making it feel like a mutual parasocial relationship. Oh, interesting. So the thing is, like, you have this relationship with these bands. Like, they're com- they're your com- You watch their concerts when you want to be comforted. They have these variety shows that you watch, and you project all of these feelings onto these bands and these band members. But they have been trained and they have brought up in this environment where there's like they do talk to you back on social media and right. like they write songs that are specifically for you and when like they talk about 
like what is their purpose in life it is always the fan base like always and like and you everybody you talks about bts like why is like army so intense it's because they've groomed this group of fans to be like to believe that they are as important to bts as bts is to them and yeah. i that makes it sound like it's not true i tr- genuinely believe that like these boys wait a second believe- uh, yeah. let me let's let's just be really really clear as an artist i don't care what kind of art you do whether you're a painter photographer actor musician singer it doesn't matter we don't make a living unless the fans love us and want to want to you know pay money to see us to buy tickets to buy our art to buy you know whatever it is so like i I think they just it sounds like to me they have figured out how to legitimize that reality where that's exactly it and like when they specifically talk about marketing and they're talking about so like every k-pop group is signed to a company record label etc okay um but when they like talk about like company decisions like they've said like the company doesn't ask what's going to make us the most money they're like what is the fan base going to enjoy most because they've already done the calculus of like yep. if you do what they enjoy most yep. the money just comes after that <laughs> yep. yeah that's so, it no that's 100 i mean that's and that's one of the things like you know starting this show to a certain extent because i want I really want to help people with this show. I want to offer a service that would typically cost hundreds, if not thousands of dollars a month. Um, because typically speaking, you know, when you work as a coach or a consultant uh, and you're, you know, working with people, you share stories. Sometimes they're your stories. Sometimes they're other people's stories. And you try to get them to understand how to begin to rewrite their story and be able to edit the story of their life so that they can live the life that they want to live. And and if it's more of a business-minded consulting, uh, then, you know, it's around business and it's around money and it's around sales and all that thing. If it's more of like a life coaching kind of situation, then it's like, well, who do you want to be? And, you know, what aspects of yourself do you not like? And how do we get you to understand those are actually desirable qualities in you and why other people like you or love you even. And so it's a lot about storytelling and it's a lot about rewriting story. So to me, this format, talking to as many people as I can and getting people like yourself to share their personal journey, then other people get to feel seen and heard and get to feel like they're part of a conversation that they otherwise wouldn't get to to be a part of. And it will allow them to begin to think about their life in a different way and uh, allow them to maybe see themselves in a different way and then begin to have the shift and change that they want. And I mean, that's, that's the entire purpose behind me doing this. And like, I, I would love to be a coach and a consultant to the world for free, but A, you know, you, you, you got to feed yourself. Uh, that's obvious. B, um, there's only so much time. How do you work with everyone? You can't. Um, so like, this is the easiest way in my mind to help as many, which is also always why I wanted to be an actor in the first place because you're going to move large groups of people. Like you're going to get them to think about things and story and character. Like if I played a villain, like, and I bring humanity to that villain, then people are going to think, oh, wow, that villain is, is kind of sad or, or maybe charming, or, um, I never thought of someone that's, you know, doing this horrible thing to these other group of people as being charming or sad or whatever. And it creates, I think a little bit more empathy and a little bit more understanding to maybe, you know, have a conversation instead of just get mad and, and throwing, you know, throwing bombs, you know? Well, the whole idea of villains and heroes is perspective anyway. Yeah. Right. Like you're the villain because we're like, we're coming at it from your adversary's point of view. Whereas you can Cobra easily, move, yeah, you can move the camera around to the other side. Yes. And it's like, I say, take Black Panther, for example, if we yeah. were have fought, if we had started with Killmonger 
And he's like, oh, no, like, these people, like, killed my dad. Yeah. And now they're hoarding all of this, like, precious materials and not helping people that look like us around the world. Like, he yeah. had, right? It's just the fact that, like, we came from it from Janala's point of view. So, like, yeah. No, I. that's it. And that, I mean, that's the, to me, and obviously to you, that is the whole purpose or value behind being a storyteller, you know, whether you're a writer or an actor or, or a combination of both. Uh, and music does, I think, some of that in a different way. But yeah, I mean, that's it. That's that's the kind of the everything um, and why, you know, art in general is so important is because it gives you perspective. And with perspective, you can change anything. I mean, it's kind of it's kind of what moves mountains to a certain extent. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Can I better myself? Um, I've. I've I feel like we've kind of hit everything we need to hit in, in this, you know, kind of first go around. Um, obviously we can come back and do this again and again and again over, over the next, um, I plan on doing this for a long time to come. So um, do you have any closing thoughts or any, um, you know, regarding coping mechanisms or making choices or kind of how you move through life or anything? I mean, the thing for me, I've always done, is that like, A, you have to follow what you're passionate about. If you're not passionate about, you're not gonna survive anything. Yeah, what's the point if you don't enjoy it? Um, And secondly, like, I think this is especially like for younger people. I know I struggled with it from middle school to like my early 20s of like, the thing that you think makes you weird is actually gonna be the thing that like you need to be marketing at the forefront. Yes. And the yes. more you, tried to like dampen that down to try and like fit in with everybody else the that's the time that you were wasting and yes. you really should be leaning into it because it's going to be the thing that makes you happy or whatever your definition of successful is leaning into whatever that is is going to get you that much sooner yeah that's that's awesome that actually may end up being the uh the episode title leaning leaning into it uh is what's going to make you successful um it certainly worked for you. I mean, thus far, and you know, you're still, you still have, you know, so, so much ahead of you, obviously. Um, but, um, this has been so awesome. So thank you so much. Uh, hold, hold with me. Let me don't forget to leave a comment or a review. I'd love to hear your thoughts, new episodes every Tuesday and check us out on YouTube for short clips from each episode. Thank you. And until next time, remember, your life story is yours to write and rewrite as many times as you want.